Well, welcome. Uh, those of you that are joining us online, welcome. We're glad that you're here. If you joined us a little bit late, uh, you're going to want to go back and catch that worship. Uh, it was really something. It was great to be in the room, a full room, worshiping and praising God together. And thank you to Michael and the team for leading us in worship. And uh, it's been a great Sunday already. It's been so exciting to see people uh, that I haven't seen in months. And I was just thinking and kind of reflecting on that during worship, that it was pretty much exactly six months ago uh, this Sunday that the world changed and uh, that we met online for a while. And then about three months ago, we, we started meeting and it's slowly filled in here. And the last three or four weeks, I've met somebody brand new to Linwood every single week. And we are seeing new people engaging with us online. And uh, it's, it's very, very clear that the spirit and the kingdom of God is not held back by COVID-19, and that the kingdom is forcefully advancing as Jesus promised that it would. So it's been exciting to see uh, students and children coming in on Wednesday nights. It's been wonderful to see the uh, Sunday school classes start meeting up again this week and to see families coming for that. And I just wanted to share a couple of prayer requests from this past week. Uh, I just love the way they speak to our vision of being a family of families. Uh, one person wrote, thank you for being my second family. You helped me personally through the sowing and reaping seasons of life. And I just thought, man, that's, that's it. That's, that's something we celebrate as a staff. Um, and then there was another person, uh, a lady who wrote, thank you, Linwood Prayer Warriors. I love that you pray with us and for us. I'm looking forward to the ministries that are starting next week and praying for my women's Bible study. I need the Lord and these women. It is so huge. I appreciate this church and the women and the fellowship I have. And that's, that's why we're here. That's why our mission is to reach people for Christ, to give them a place to belong and help them grow in their faith. And we do that as we are and increasingly become a family of families. And so today we're talking about a, a new sermon series and sort of a, a vision casting sermon series in a way uh, to talk about maybe what's next and to challenge us each and one of us and us as a church to take our next step in our faith, in our relationship with Christ, and in our relationship to the world that is far from Christ. And so the series is titled The You Next to You, and sort of the underlying premise is that Christianity is all about you until you become one. And once you become a Christian, Christianity is all about the you next to you. It's all about you reaching out and being an ambassador for Christ and, and being a minister of reconciliation in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family, in the places that you have influence, in the, in the circles that you run. And so we'll be talking about that over the next five weeks. But before we talk about the you next to you, we need to talk about you. And uh, so today's message is, is going to focus more on who you are and that will be a launching pad for who the you next to you might be as well. And uh, for some of you, you are your favorite subject. And you may not realize that, but the people around you know that you're your favorite subject. And you can talk about you forever. Um, but uh, some of us need to learn and to grow and to not be so concerned with being the most interested person in, or interesting person in the room but rather to focus on being the most interested 
person in the room. So we're going to talk about you today, and we're going to talk about what's true about you. And how many of you, raise your hand if you were here in part of Linwood Church in July of 2018. You might recognize the image behind me, and you might even remember this sermon series. And I'm excited about one thing. Only about half the people in the room raised their hand. That means we've welcomed a lot of new people to our family over the last couple of years, and that's exciting. This was one of the first series that I preached here. It was one of those that had been burning a hole in my heart uh, for a season of ministry where I was an associate pastor. So I preached what I was told to preach when the senior pastor didn't want to preach. And I had this message that was growing in my heart. And I'm like, I got to preach this. I got to preach this message, this series, What's True About You. In fact, the whole series is available on our website. If you just go to linwoodchurch.org slash WTAY.html. WTAY for What's True About You.html. And you can listen to the whole series there. Um, But this is probably still one of my favorite series that I've preached in 10 plus years of ministry. This really resonates with me at a deep level. In fact, if if somebody were to say to me, if you were going to go on the road and do one day workshops and you were going to preach a series of four messages and then workshops, uh, what would you preach on? This would be it. And if I ever end up writing a book, this will probably be the first book that I write. It'll be based on this because these truths are so powerful. When we start to replace the world's lies with God's truths about us. When we begin to understand that, that Satan and this world have, have fooled us into believing something less than the gospel truth of what God says about us, it is freeing and it is life-changing. And so that series was all about replacing the world's lies with God's truth. And the idea is that Jesus came full of grace and truth. He came full of grace, full expression of God's grace, but also in the fullness of God's truth. And here's the kicker. You were made in his image. You were made in his image. So there's something very good about you prior to the fall because you were made in the image of a very, very good God. And part of the reason that Jesus came was that we would redeem what was good about us from the very beginning and that we would take on the character and the nature and the likeness of Jesus Christ and become more and more like him and find our true selves in that. It's a reclamation project. He's reclaiming the truth about us in his ministry. And so that's why Paul can say in Romans 12:1, do not be conformed to the to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our minds have to be renewed as we come to Christ, as we experience salvation, as we begin the process of sanctification, becoming holy and set apart for God and living more and more like him. There's a renewing of the mind that takes place because Paul knew that when you change your mind, you change your life. You change the way you think, you change the way you act. And if you change your life, you can change a family, you can change a community, You can change the world. And so that's what we're talking about. Just kind of getting the ball rolling today. And then we'll take that beyond ourselves to the you next to you in the weeks that come. But part of the premise here is this idea. uh, It's what James Bryan Smith calls power narratives. Narrative has to do with story. And there are stories about you that are extremely powerful. And there are stories about you that are true, and we find them in the pages of Scripture. And there are stories about you that are false. And some of the false stories may have pushed out the true stories about you. 
And so maybe, maybe you grew up in a dysfunctional family and there were things that were said to you and about you by those that you love closest that pushed out the truth of God about you. Or maybe you had a, a bad experience with, uh, with bullying or with something that took place in your school years and peer pressure or, or just the social environment started to make you believe things about you that aren't true about you that are lies of the enemy about you. And so God's truth has to come back in and push those false narratives out, those false stories, any story that tells you something other than you are a beloved child of God in whom Christ dwells and delights is a false narrative. And we have to reformat and reclaim what is true about us. That is our bottom line today. You are God's beloved. Every single one of you is beloved by God. Every single one of you watching online is beloved by God. You are God's beloved. And that truth alone has the power to change your life. It has the power to change the life of every single person you encounter when they really begin to grasp it and to understand it and to embrace it that the God of the universe loves you, is willing to die for you, to show you how much he loves you is willing to forgive everything that you have ever done and to come alongside you and live in a personal relationship with you. It's powerful. The, the power narratives are so powerful because when we believe them, when we embrace them, we come to see ourselves as God sees us. And when you see as God sees, you will do as he says. Because all sin is, is really a failure to see as God sees. All sin is a failure to understand what God understands because if we understood what God understood, we would not be tempted to sin. We would not be tempted to do anything else. If we could see as he sees and if we could understand as he understands, then we wouldn't be tempted to do anything other than his good, perfect, and pleasing will. And so that's why this matters so much because if the core of who you are, you doubt that God really loves you, that the God of the universe created you in and for a personal relationship with him, then you're going to be easily led astray by the ways of this world. But when we lay hold of that truth, what is true about us, it has the power to change our lives. So I want to look at this bottom line today, phrase by phrase. And you'll notice the first half of it, the title of the sermon series, or I'm sorry, the title of today's sermon, that you are God's beloved. That is true of every single person in every part of the world in all time. Every single person is loved by God. Now, what follows that is true of those who are believers in Jesus Christ, who have accepted the gift of God's grace and have experienced salvation in Jesus Christ. That's when you are a beloved child of God in whom Christ dwells and delights. We have to know that. We have to remember that. We have to believe that at the core of who we are. And so we're going to take this phrase by phrase, and we're going to look at that first phrase, that you are beloved you are God's beloved. And this has Old Testament and New Testament foundations. We're going to move through a lot of scripture today. They're going to be on the screen behind me. You may want to just jot down the addresses and return to them later. If you're pretty quick with your Bible, you can get one out and follow along. But the first, the first uh, scripture that speaks directly to this is Malachi 1-2. And Malachi happens to be the last of the Old Testament prophets. It goes from Malachi 
to Matthew. So once you finish Malachi, you have finished the Old Testament. And one of the last things that God wanted to say to his people in the Old Testament comes in Malachi 1-2. I have always loved you. I have always loved you. I have always loved you. It's that simple. He has always loved you. He has always loved the people that he created to be his own people. Jeremiah 31.3 says it this way, kind of expands that idea that God has always and always will love us. It's not just a past tense thing. It's a future tense thing. It's a present tense thing. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. I have drawn you to myself with loving kindness. But don't skip past that first phrase. Let it blow your mind. Because if the everlasting eternal God loves you with an everlasting love, then there is never a moment in your existence when you are not loved by the God of the universe. And that needs to soak deep into who we are as God's people, that he has always loved it. He doesn't love you just because you came to church on Sunday. He doesn't love you just because you said a prayer. He doesn't love you just because you read the word or you're in a discipleship group or any other thing that you do. He has always loved you. He will always love you. He loves you right now perfectly and completely and totally. And then perhaps the most famous couple of sentences in all of literature most quoted uh, around the world establish this truth in the New Testament that you are part of the world that God loves. In fact, Jesus said it this way in his conversation with Nicodemus in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, the whole world, that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God loves the world. You're part of the world that God loves. God did not want to condemn the world or you as a part of the world, so he sent his son to save the world through Christ, through Christ's perfect life, his perfect sacrifice, his perfect death, his perfect resurrection, and soon we'll see his perfect second coming. You are beloved by God, and you are inherently worthy of love because he created you, and he created you to love you, and he has always loved you, and he will always love you. And so now we want to move on to the next phrase, that you are a part of not just the beloved creation, but you have opportunity through Jesus Christ to become a child of God. John speaks about this in the opening verses of his gospel in chapter 1, verse 12. He says, yet to all who received him, who received Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That if you believe, if you put your faith in, if you rely upon, cling to, and trust in Christ and Christ alone, and you receive him, and and you bring him into your life, you lay hold of him by accepting what is offered. That's what it literally means to receive. It doesn't mean that somebody put it on your doorstep. It means that you took it inside and took ownership of it, that you believed, you received, then you have the right to become a child of God, to transition from one condition to another. That's what it means to become, to go from not being a child of God to being a child of God. 
I think it's Peter that says, once you were no people, but now you are God's people. To those of us who are in Christ, we move from just being a part of the beloved creation of God to becoming, transitioning from not being a child of God to being a child of God. And this is really good news because there are separate words in the Greek language for child and mere offspring. Child represents a familial relationship, a family relationship where there is trust and it's described this way as one living in willing dependence and glad submission to the Father. I love that definition. Willing submission, sorry, willing dependence and glad submission. That's a child of God. That's one who's in a relationship with an Abba Father, a dad, not just mere offspring. That's a totally different word. But when you're a child, there's this willing dependence. There's this glad submission. And Jesus gives us that right when we receive him, when we believe in his name. He gives us the right to be in that relationship with God. And so we can say, I am a beloved child of God in willing dependence and glad submission, not a mere descendant in some way, not a mere creation, but in relationship with him, where he is our source and our sustainer in all things. And this must have really blown John's mind, as it should, because in his letters he revisits the subject. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, there's this outburst of emotion in the middle of the letter, and he says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. He's speaking about identity here. That you have a new identity. And the new identity is child of God, lavishly loved by God. What manner has love has God lavished on us that we should be called children of God? And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. That there are people who know this and understand this and believe this, and there are those who do not know it, do not understand it, and do not believe it. And the two don't recognize each other as well. But John is saying, this is who we are, dear friends. Now we are children of God. You have a new identity in Christ, child of God. We are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but what we know But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That now we see in part, then we shall see completely. Now we see as in a glass, dimly, then we shall see fully. And remember what I said early on, that all sin is a failure to see as God sees. That there is coming a time, there is a process by which we are going through. And when we see as he sees, we do as he says. When we come to understand and, and know what he is saying is good and perfect and pleasing, then we do it. We do it without question. And so we have to learn to see ourselves as he sees, to see him as he truly is, and to see each other as God sees the people around us. And so part of what verse 2 is, is foreshadowing or speaking to is our coming perfection in Christ, that we will be like him, that we are in the process as we follow him of becoming more like him, and that there will come a time when we are completely like him, when he returns, 
We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And he's speaking to our coming perfection in Christ. Verse 3 continues this idea, but that's a whole other sermon. And I only have time for one this morning. I bet you do too. So we'll get to that one another day. But the idea is that as we decrease and he increases, then we become more like him. And our will and our thoughts and our actions fall in line with his. Much like if you adopt a child, maybe out of a dysfunctional situation, and all they have ever known is, is fear and risk and uncertainty and maybe abuse or neglect. They come into your family, and they're your child, and they will receive an inheritance, and they're yours. They're legally adopted as children, but they don't know how the family operates yet, do they? They don't know that there's going to be lunch when they're at breakfast. All they've ever known is, oh, I got breakfast today. But over time, they learn, yeah, there's going to be lunch, and then there's going to be dinner, and guess what? Tomorrow, we're going to do three meals again, and you don't have to be afraid, and mom and dad aren't going to scream at you, and they're not going to neglect you, and they're not going to raise a hand to you. And so over time, they learn how the new family operates. It's much the same for us. When we come to Christ, when we come to faith in Christ, we don't know everything that we will know. We haven't become everything that we will become. We don't know for sure how this family operates yet. And sadly, there's some dysfunctional families within the body of Christ. And that makes matters even more complicated. But that's why our vision is so important, to be a healthy family of families. So that whatever family you came from, you learn what it's like to be a part of a healthy family where people care for each other, where people help each other grow in their faith, where people center their lives on the Word of God. And so we become not just a God's beloved, but a beloved child of God. And then the next phrase is, in whom Christ dwells. And, and if the, the way that God loves you and has always loved you doesn't blow your mind, this might, that God actually takes up residence in you through the person of the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells within us, such that Paul would say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Not only has our identity changed, but now Christ, God himself, is taking up residence in us through the person of the Holy Spirit that we identify with him and our flesh has died as Christ died, but our spirits have been resurrected to new life in Christ and the life we now live in this flesh, in this body, we live by faith in the Son of God. That we're not on our own. That he is living in us. He is within us. And he dwells within us. It's as if our, our false self that the world told us about, that we thought we needed to, to get ahead in the world or to get our needs met in the world, that false self has been crucified with Christ. And now the true self, who God always created and intended us to be, is coming to life. And Christ lives in us, and we live by faith in him. And Paul doesn't just talk about this here. He talks about it in Romans 8 and Galatians 5. John gets on this in 1 John chapter 2. This is a theme throughout the New Testament for those of us who are redeemed and who are in Christ, Christ is also in us, living within us. He dwells within us, and he doesn't just dwell within us. He delights in us. 
And this is perhaps the best news of all, that he delights. He doesn't just love us because he has to, because that's part of the deal for him. He delights in us. That's the last phrase, that you are a beloved child of God in whom Christ dwells and delights. David wrote it this way in Psalm 18. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. Why? Because he loved David. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. I remember the first time I read those words and really let them soak in. My eyes started to leak. Something was coming out of them and rolling down my face as I realized this truth that God delights in me. And at the time, I didn't see myself as all that delightful to God. I still had sort of a workspace mentality, and I don't think I was doing enough good to outweigh all the bad that he would actually delight in me. And then I'm reading this from David, David who who fell in love with another man's wife, took her as his own, sent that guy to the front lines, told the troops to pull back so that he would be killed, so that he could take his wife as his own. That David, God delighted in him too. God reached down from on high and rescued him. And I started to identify with this, with this truth that God did the same thing for me. He reached down from on high, saved me from myself, saved me from my enemy, saved me from addictions, and saved me from patterns of behavior and sin that were leading me down the world's path, away from my true identity in Christ. God reached down, and he rescued me from my powerful enemy. Every single one of us has a powerful spiritual enemy who does not want you to know what's true about you, who does not want you to think about anybody but yourself and believe the lies that the world has told you. But the Lord, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place and he rescued me because he delighted delighted in me. And he delights in you too. He delights in you too. Because if you are in Christ, if you are a beloved child of of God in whom Christ dwells, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your past. He doesn't see the bad things that you have done. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus' righteousness on you. Second Corinthians chapter 5 talks all about this. Theology, uh, theologians call it the great exchange where God takes off our unrighteousness and puts Christ's righteousness on us so that when he sees us, he sees Christ's righteousness. And he delights in us because he has always loved us. And so much the same as when Jesus was baptized and he come up, came up out of the waters of the Jordan and the voice came from heaven and the spirit ascended like a dove and God's voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's the resurrection that, that we experience with him, that when we come to Christ and we are crucified with Christ and then we are raised with Christ, he looks at us and says, that's my beloved son. That's my beloved daughter, whom I am well pleased. And when we start to believe this and really take hold of it and really own it and work it into the fabric of our identity and run everything else through these truths, you are a beloved child of God in whom Christ dwells and delights. You are safe and secure in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. You are never lost or alone because Jesus is always with you and he is never lost. 
You are enough because he says you're enough. You were created in and for a love relationship with the God of the universe. When you wash those into your spirit, into your soul, it has the power to change you. And so you are a beloved child of God in whom Christ dwells and delights, and you need to know that, and you need to remember that, and you need to believe that at the very core of who you are. That's our bottom line. You want to hear the second bottom line? we got a second bottom line. I think that's a first for me. I don't know that I've ever had a second bottom line, but the second bottom line is what's true about you is true about the you next to you, or it should be. What's true about you that you are God's beloved is true about the you next to you. Every single person that you will look eyes, lock eyes with today or any day is a beloved child of God. I'm sorry. Is God's beloved. They should be a beloved child of God. But you might have a part to play in the you next to you finding out what's true about them. Finding out that they are God's beloved child. Introducing them to Jesus, bringing them into a relationship with him, serving Christ in, in his name for his kingdom. What's true about you is also true about the you next to you. And that's why this series matters so much. Because there is a whole world full of people out there that don't know what's true about them. They don't know that they're God's beloved. They don't know that they have an opportunity to become a child of God. They don't know that they have an opportunity to enter the family of God and to receive an inheritance from God. They don't know. And so the question is, do you care as much about that as God does? Do you care as much about the you next to you as God does? And that's what we'll be talking about over the next couple of weeks. But this fits right in with our theme this year of of. Focusing on discipleship. Discipleship is a relationship that you build with another person in order to teach them to trust and follow Jesus. That's our operational definition of discipleship. And we've got, we've got people that have taken the step to be in a discipleship group or to start leading a disciple-making group where they're making disciples. They're spending time in God's Word on a regular basis. They're studying it. They're seeking to apply it to their lives and then to gather with a small group of people and to be transparent and to confess sins and to pray for the lost and to to be engaged in making disciples. And the website that's listed there is where you can go to find out more about that. There's a little survey where you can give us some information. You can tell us what you're interested in. I would like to be in a group. I think I'm ready to start making disciples. It's a new season. It's fall. It's we're back into routine. Maybe this is the perfect time for you to get involved in a small group of discipleship focused believers that are spending time in God's word and are spending time together around that. So if that's you, then I hope that you'll take an opportunity to step into that, to begin serving, serving in children's ministry, serving on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings is is crucial. It's crucial in helping somebody else to know what's true about them, helping these young children to get get on the right track early on in life, to know that God loves them, that they have a place in God's family. Because if you know and you believe this stuff, then who can you tell? Who can you teach? That needs to be the next question. Because it's not about you anymore. It's about the you next to you. It's about the person who doesn't know what's true about them. And somebody you know needs to know what you know. Somebody you know needs to know what you know. 
And so another opportunity that you might want to take is our Next Steps class. Next Steps class uh, is, is typically geared towards people that are relatively new to Linwood, but it doesn't have to be. Anybody that's ready to take a next step, anybody that feels God's sense, you know, drawing them forward to take a new step with Him, to take a next step, can come to the Next Step class. It's going to be October 4th. It'll be after church. Uh, we'll feed you lunch. We'll put it in a box, so all you got to do is pick up your box, go to your table, we'll learn together, we'll share together, we'll answer questions that you might have, and this is a tremendous opportunity for you to take a next step, to take a next step with God, because someone you know needs to know what you know, and if you know what's true about you, then now it's time to start making sure other people know what's true about them. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that you give us to be in relationship with you, to be a part of the family of God, to step into that. We pray, God, that you will help us. For those of us who are redeemed, who know who we are, who know who you say we are, who have entered your family and are experiencing life with you, God, help us to take that knowledge and to share it with someone else. Help us to take the next step, whatever that may be. For some, it might be to come to an altar and to give our lives over to you for the first time or to recommit to you. For some, this may be new information, that there is a God who loves them, who has always loved them, loved them enough to die for them, is inviting them into a personal relationship that will change everything about them and bring them into their true self. For others, maybe it's a gentle nudge to take the next step, to look up, to look out, to pray a dangerous prayer like, God, who do you want me to share this with? And then maybe may we be quick to obey. Whatever our response is, Lord, I pray that we are people who respond in faith to your word.